Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Spirit of love and light that dwells within us. In this moment, we pray that you allow our lights to shine so brightly that others will see the love that uh, emanates within us, that others will want to know more about who they are as divine beings, that others will be encouraged to heal and to connect with you on a deeper level. We know that you have called each of us to this time and this place to spread the word that is meant to show up in this time and place in history. So divine one, God of love, God of feminine energy, God of masculine energy, God of just energy, period, shine upon us, free us, encourage us, and give us the words that we need to be your vessels in this moment. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Terilyn L. Curry Avery. She is a pastologist, spiritual leader, author, and TEDx speaker. She is the creator of Pastology, the dynamic approach to transformation that focuses on the synergy between spirituality and the human psyche. She helps transformational leaders stay grounded in their faith, values, and purpose by providing both spiritual and psychological support as they manifest their own greatness and help others to do the same. Dr. Curry Avery helps leaders recognize and understand how ingrained disruptive and damaging messages from various religions may impact their finances, decision-making, careers, and personal self-image. She holds a PhD from Hofstra University and a Master's in Divinity from Yale University. She is the author of Sacred Intelligence. Welcome, Terilyn. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Monica, for having me. So it's, it's, we, these are some interesting times, aren't they? And I'm, I'm just wanting to really just take a deep breath here, <laughs> you know, not only for, for you and I, before we kind of endeavor and navigate our way through this, you know, just conversation that I'm honored to have, but also just really recognizing right now that I'm having to really work hard at staying grounded right now with everything happening in the world. Yeah, I, me too, as a matter of fact. And it's so interesting that the topic that we're here to discuss today in terms of just um, some religious wounds, but if you think about what's going on in the country right now with systemic racism, it's, it's erupting to such a magnitude right now because we haven't dealt with it. And it's something that we've buried for years. And so in the same way, with the wounds of religion, if we do not deal with those wounds of religion, they eventually will erupt in a way that causes really severe damage to who we are spiritually and and to our souls, much like racism does, right? Racism is very damaging to our souls and we have to push through it. Uh, Those of us who are 
on the on the other side of racism. We have to push through it, but that doesn't make our life that easy, even while we're pushing through it. And so think about what it would be like if we were not oppressed, whether it be by racism or be by religion. We are able to let our lights shine even more brightly than they already are. And so my hope for our conversation today, and I want to thank you for acknowledging what's going on in the world, because we do need more people talking about it and standing up uh, against racism. But you know, not but, but and as we go into this conversation of religious wounds to really be able to look at religion, to be able to look at the divine in a different way than we've looked at before so that we don't have to stay constricted to our limiting beliefs. So there's a big parallel between what's going on in the world right now, I believe, and, and religious wounds. What I'm hearing you say is that, yeah, it's, it's all interconnected. There's, there's so many places for us to really like, we're, we're not doing ourselves any favors and it kind of speaks to the divisiveness, right? It's like the second you, you isolate something and look at it in isolation, sometimes that's, you know, that's what I'm starting to recognize that we need to, we need to start looking at things as these, all these interconnected parts that all have we have to kind of start to approach things from a more more holistic standpoint where everybody is being served in in this way that we're we're just in touch with you know having these conversations and normalizing some of these conversations and putting voice and language to what's going on and calling things out right because yes yes and and, and here's the interesting thing about it so when we have the conversations about race People think the way they think about it, and it's very hard to get them to see another perspective, but it takes multiple perspectives in order for us to come together as one. And so I want to say the same thing with religion. We all have these different beliefs that are out there, and then we divide ourselves uh, depending on what our belief system is. And we ought to look at ourselves with having a shared humanity. I see us as all spiritual beings. Look, we are just um, bodies here, right? This is my physical body, but I have a spiritual body that is more uh, evolved than this physical body. And so if we were to look at each other just as spiritual beings, we wouldn't have this, this divide that we have over religion. We wouldn't have this divide over who we are in terms of race, which is a, a social construct to begin with. And so really the parallel is very strong here with us talking about these two things. And of course, we could have a whole entire show on either one of these things, but I think the ideas are the same. Mm. If we are to have a conversation about religious wounds, there are some who would listen to your show and say, oh, no, 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 I don't have any religious wounds or don't want to think outside of the box as it relates to religious wounds or even want to hear about anybody else's religious experiences or beliefs. Well, that's a problem. As long as we stay in our own corner of the world, we cannot grow. We cannot grow as an individual and we cannot grow as spiritual beings as well. What I love what you just kind of pointed to was people might think or even hear the term religious wound 
and not recognize some of the unconscious, right? Wounds that lie below the surface. And so, you know, maybe that's a great place to start here is just starting to reveal what are some of the common religious wounds that you come across that, you know, somebody listening might not even really be aware of that they have them? Yeah, so it's really interesting because it, it, it runs the gamut uh, to, to uh, you know, obviously from very serious religious wounds like physical abuse or sexual abuse, things like that, to even the subtle things that I don't consider not so subtle, which are things like people believing that they can only make a certain amount of money if they're living their purpose. Uh, we all can fall into this, particularly, I think those of us who are ministers, you know, we will fall into the trap of, of like, they don't have to pay me much because I'm serving God, you know, when, when you are a minister. But no, we are servants uh, of God in the way that we speak. We are God's uh, children who are sending a message out to God's other children. And we should be valued in the same way. We should, it should be okay to uh, make money in that realm. But I think for entrepreneurs who are also called, uh, again, in their work, they will limit what they will charge people because there's this faulty belief that I should just serve and not make money. That there's a scripture that says um, the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people will take that quote and say, uh, money is the root of all evil. And so I would invite your entrepreneurs who are listening or people who are, are called for purpose that's other than just your business, but something else, you deserve to be paid your worth, whatever that is and whatever you consider it. So do not undervalue yourself by not charging enough for your services, because that is a huge problem. And the second thing that I would say is that sometimes we use language in religion where we'll say, and I've been guilty of this as a pastor, so I'm I'm calling myself out on this as well. We'll say, I'm not worthy because that is language that we use in the church, that we're not worthy to be called children of God. We're not worthy. That's why, you know, in my tradition, that's why Christ had to die for us. Well, that's absolutely not true because I am the manifestation of God. I am a child of God, just like Jesus was a child of God, right? I'm I consider myself and others fully human and fully divine. And why do I consider that? Because the way that I understand the scripture based on my beliefs and based on what I believe Jesus said, uh, that God dwells within me. And so, you know, we sometimes with our religious wounds, we use language that makes us not feel so good about ourselves sometimes. And sometimes the way we preach about things, the way we talk about things in the church, it limits our thinking on who we are and who we should be. Another thing that shows up in terms of a religious wound that that I feel like is a really, really big one. And I know it's it's kind of off-putting to, to some people, but around uh, issues of who we are in terms of gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with a lot of people who have been wounded because church has made them feel less than. And so people have the tendency to say, what is that saying? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's an awful 
awful saying. And especially if you're saying that to someone based on who they were created to be. And so there's so many people within the church who will think something is wrong with them if they don't look a certain way, if they don't act a certain way, if they don't show up a certain way and present themselves uh, in, in a way that they feel is acceptable to people, not to God. And so sometimes people suffer from depression as a result of it. Sometimes people suffer from depression just being under the the thumb, if you will, of people who are uh, very fundamentalist or very heavily devout Christians, for instance. I'm only speaking from my Christian worldview, but I know that this is the same for other religions as well. So I want to be clear about the experiences that I speak of. I speak of them because I know of them and speak of them because I know I've worked with individuals in my private practice around some of these issues of uh, religious wounds as well. So I really want the audience to know that it can range from the subtle messages to um, the more deeply, the, the deeper wounds that we hear about all the time in terms of sexual abuse and all of that. So, and also low self-esteem as well, not feeling like you're good enough, you know, feeling like your voice should not be heard. That's another huge one, because if you come from a tradition where you know, like certain people are like, the, for instance, if the man is considered the head of the household, mm-hmm. then you don't consider that you have a voice. And that shows up with women, especially when we're engaged in the work that we we do. Well, I shouldn't make more money than my husband, or I don't have the right to shine my light because I'm taught to be submissive. So it's, it, it runs the gamut, as I said. It really does. And you know, I, I love some of these wounds that you're surfacing because and, and what you're saying too about just being responsible about sharing your own from your own personal right perspective. But mm-hmm. yeah, but it's true that you also, you know, have worked with people really for many, many years now and heard a number of stories and, um, you know, have helped t- people to heal all kinds of different and surface all kinds of various wounds. But mm-hmm. one one thing too, that I think is true about just putting some language right to if I even think about some of my own religious woundings and share from my personal experience. It's more about I think allowing some of these stories and sharing our stories to have this kind of airtime because I think that this is how we learn to, we hear our own stories reflected in somebody else's experience and we get to say, oh, wow, me too, you know, and, and I would not have thought of certain things as being a religious wound. Like you were talking about money and this idea, I grew up very much, you know, it's so interesting, like I'm the daughter of a vascular surgeon and yet I grew up thinking that we were poor, you know, Uh and that there was something wrong with having money, that it was that there was something to be ashamed of in a way. You know, I think about as a woman, right, as a as a female entrepreneur, this idea of like, you know, that God is all about abundance, right? And that exactly, yes, this is a God of abundance. And that there's not only is there enough, there's plenty. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to be responsible too. kind of as we kind of thread our way back and forth through religion and race, Mm -hmm. that 
there's also kind of this discussion of inequality, money inequalities, non-equal opportunities. Sure. And how all of these things, as we start unpacking how these things are interrelated, Mm -hmm. but as a, as a female entrepreneur, it's true that my thinking only recently has been this both versus and, or. Yeah. Well, can I, I just want to jump on, jump in really quickly, because of course this is making me think about all sorts of things, but like, if we even think about the way religion is taught, so I'm going to speak just from Christianity for a second. Because I want to speak to two really quick things that you said. And one has to do with gender and the other has to do with race. If you think about the stories that you hear in your childhood, for instance, or the stories that you hear, even even sometimes now when, when you um, listen to pastors preach, especially if they are male pastors, their stories are usually slanted towards things that are of more interest to the, the male experience. Male. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so here's what happens. So women have to find their place in those stories. Because if you're preaching about a story, for instance, of David and David and Bathsheba, the story ends up being about David. But we don't speak to the victimization of Bathsheba. And even I, even I, when I preached on David, have not really spoken about the the victimization of Bathsheba. But one of the things that when I went to Yale, I took a course that was called uh, uh, Women's Ways of Preaching. And so we would look at texts of terrors where we could see these all these women in the Bible who actually had been terrorized. Mm-hmm. But these are stories that are placed in there that when pastors read over them, they tell the stories of these women without really looking at their victimization, right? Without So people love to talk about uh, Naomi, for instance. Um, and so when they're talking about Ruth and Naomi, and, the, and they'll talk about the story of Boaz in there and how, you know, Ruth went and laid at Boaz's feet. Now I can say more about that, but I won't. But like, they didn't <laughs> talk about what she had to do in order for her to eventually become his wife. And, and, and I even hear women say, oh, I have to get my Boaz as mm. if without thinking about it contextually. Right. And so that's the damage when we hear these stories over and over and over in our head. We are socialized in a certain way. And so likewise, when we think about race and racism, regardless of what people want to say, the Bible actually in many ways, and I'm speaking from my Christian belief, uh, because I believe it carryovers carries over from other beliefs as well. It it, um, segregates us in many ways. And so there's a lot of language in there that talks about enslavement. There's a lot of language in there that talks about one group over the other group. And so unless we put that in context, unless we put it in the historical, critical, uh, social context of its time, people continue to perpetuate separatism. And so unless we take a look at these things, we will never be able to get beyond dividing ourselves based on gender or race or or any of these things or even sexuality. Look, people don't even use, I know this is going to really upset some people, but there are stories in the Bible. Actually, if people looked at the Hebrew and the Greek language, there are places in there where you could see same-sex relationship. We don't preach about any of those in church. Right. And so there are things that we need to do to educate ourselves to take our own 
ownership for the ways in which we look at and read the sacred texts that are out there as well. And so, Monica, you know, I, I get excited when I start to talk about this stuff because it's so uh, important. So anytime you need to just cut me off in the middle of, I am a preacher. So, you know, preachers can can go in with the talking. So please be sure to cut me off if you need to jump in. Well, you know, maybe I should become a preacher then because honestly, <laughs> I, I share your passion. You know, this is a subject that really, really just lights me on fire. And I'll tell you why. It's because I feel like oftentimes, we have, it's like the oracle of the obvious is right in front of our eyes every single day. And yet we don't see it until we really stop and look and until we really get still and start to question some of these, you know, beliefs that we hold that whether like they're so unconscious and yet they drive our behavior day in and day out. Yes. Yes. And, and I love that you kind of surface too. like, if, if I and I know you didn't say this, but of course, what I wrote down was Bible equals original segregation, you know, but it's mm-hmm. fascinating to me that you know, we talk about sin. But again, if you were to go back and look at the origin of the Greek word, does sin not mean and I may be wrong here, but does sin not mean to separate? Well, yes, there is some it's, it's, it's really like we're we're doing something how I like to define it, look, this is how I define it. And it's my own own way of doing it. But that is what, to answer your question, yes, it's about a separation because it's separating us from God. In all these ways, we separate, you know, concepts too, or separate, exactly. uh, you know, people or separate ourselves from our own goodness, right? It's right, just... Right. And so, but but just to answer your question in terms of how you know, how it's, it's used in the biblical sense. It's like, okay, we were here, we had this great thing to happen. And then we did something that separated us. And and I could say a whole thing about, you know, the story of Adam and Eve not being a literal story. So I don't know, probably some of your listeners will be a little annoyed by the time they end this, but the story of that, just thinking about that story that we we actually don't know how the world was created. This is our belief, but it's a it's, it's really just a literary story that we ought to take and to use that story to help us understand the character of God and, and our character. But to get back to your question about sin, for me, I think about sin as really it's those things that in our own mind that would make us think that we're separated from yes. God. When yes. in fact, there is nothing that we could ever, ever, ever do to separate us from the love of God, because God is already deeply manifested within us. So there is no separation. But what happens is when we learn in our sacred spaces that we are sinners that uh, can do no good, so to speak, or that there are things in our lives that God would not be pleased about or would hate us for, those are things that people are saying. God never said any of those things. And so if we believe what they're saying that means then we don't tap into our own sacredness when we believe those lies. And so it separates us not because the divine wants to be separated from us, but because we mentally separate from the divine, which is already dwelling within us. But I want to just say something about you saying how automatic, this wasn't your language, but you know, basically 
we, we're talking about how we do things without thinking about them, mm-hmm. how implicit stuff is, just like implicit bias is, is, is there for us. In the same way, when we think about religion, some of our teachings are so ingrained in us that we're not even thinking about the ways in which they perhaps wound us. And so I want to go back to this patriarchy for just a second. Oh, we can spend all day there if you want, sister. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. I try not to call God he, mm-hmm. but because for so many years, probably for 40 something years, I call God he, ever now and again, it comes without me thinking about it because it's so automatic. Sure. And even though I don't see God as any gender, you know, it's just what's automatic. And so people really need to think about that in the ways in which they approach life in general. The way you have been conditioned is the way you show up in the world. And so as a cognitive behavioral psychologist, I often talk about we have to recondition ourselves and, and, and really we have to do what, what's called cognitive restructuring, change the way that we think, which, uh, people talk about that all the time as entrepreneurs, right? They, they call it a mindset, changing your mindset. And it really is about reconditioning yourself. And so for the listeners that are out here, what I would invite you to do, if there are some things that we are saying today that's really kind of shaking you up, I invite you to take a look at that and just to say, okay, in what ways might they be saying something that's relevant to my experience that I have never thought about before? Because trust me, as a pastor, when I meet people and they tell me about their wounds of religion, I then have to go back and check myself. Even down to the way that I administer communion, I've had to think about how my language might be wounding for individuals if I've never thought about it before. Say more about that. I'm so curious because uh, say more about communion and what might come up for you. Yeah. So for me, um, I had a gentleman to say to me and and he, he was an ex Catholic because he had been abused by his priest and, um, and he had some deep wounds around that. And so we, sh- we talked about that, but he says, you know, try being a child at six or seven years old and you're told that you are eating the body and blood of Jesus. Mm. And I said, wow. Now, in my tradition, we don't actually believe that you're eating the body and blood. We believe that it symbolizes the body and blood. And so we explain it in that way. And it may be different in the Catholic Church now. I don't know. This is just what he said to me at this particular point in time we engaged in the conversation. So it has made me much more conscious when I am administering the sacraments to choose my words carefully, even the words of of saying that we're not worthy. Mm -hmm. I understand that that's the teaching, but I need that the, that person who is in the congregation who is listening to me to know that they are worthy simply because they are a child of God. And so I need them to be able to understand that because some people don't take communion because they say, I can't take communion because I didn't do X, Y, and Z this week. Or right. I, and, and so, and I know that this is stepping on some toes because I know, you know, there are many traditions. They're very strict about who can take communion, when they can take communion, how they can take communion, all of that. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a church once, and I suppose I should stop telling the story. I think I'm over the angry part of it. I didn't put <laughs> my hand properly to take communion. And the pastor just went past me mm. on to the next person until I looked to see that I had to cut my hands in a certain way. I was a visitor at that church. Wow. What if, what if in that moment I said, I'm never going to church again? They would have wounded me, making me think, wow, there's something about religious people. There's something about God. And so I just want us to be mindful of the ways in which we show up and ask ourselves, am I showing true love that's based on the spirit that lives within me? I am a sacred being. I should extend that to other people. As a sacred being, as a sacred being, as an embodied spirit, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we are so sensitive. We are born able to pick up on all of these nuances, all of these omissions, all of these, right? We get desensitized over time, I think. Yes. And and we're taught that this sensitivity is some kind of like scourge, you know, or some kind of like something to get over. And yet it's such a gift. And I think we forget because I was going back to what you were saying too about, you know, the body and the blood and really as a child taking that in, You know, I often think back to my childhood and I think I was so wise. I was so smart. I didn't miss a trick. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But as I got older, it was like I poo-pooed or desensitized or, you know, kind of like found ways to dismiss, you know, some of those they basically become survival tactics as adults because we kind of need to put them in a box in order to survive them until it's time, like you said at the beginning of this conversation, where these wounds have a point where they erupt because they haven't felt, they haven't been seen, they haven't been looked at, they haven't been examined. Mm -hmm. And I often say, you know, that what gets revealed, gets healed. And, Mm. you know, this segues us back into what's happening in the world right now. And so many people being in such a place of despair, right, with what is going on. Mm -hmm. And yet there is part of my spirit, part of my sensitive, knowing, higher self being that knows that this is necessary. Yeah, so (laughs) that's really interesting to... um... I do know that it's necessary. It, it, we, we cannot go on in the way that we do. But here's what I will say about that. I think the spirit grieves over what's happening. Oh, my gosh, yes. And, and, and that the spirit is so not in agreement with what's going on right now. It's interesting because yesterday um, my, my sermon was around, was on faith. Because I happen to be writing a book now. I was writing it on the wounds of religion, but it's kind of shifted just for the moment with dealing with uh, leadership and how do we exercise our faith through through leadership, whatever that faith is to you. And so I was doing this series at church with talking about the necessary things to uh, strengthen our faith and our businesses to keep going when it seems like it's rough and all of that. And so what I what I shared with them in this sermon was around our ability to to make choices during these difficult times. And that in these difficult times, we, we choose 
whatever the trials are that are going on in your life, we have to choose to understand God better during this time, but also choose to understand ourselves better. And then we choose to go through the trial and the difficult time. We cannot choose just to simply say, uh, I'm not going to go with this. I know that there are people who are saying, I'm not going to deal with this. I know that, for instance, for the last week, I've been doing a lot of uh, talking with my white counterparts. I've been doing uh, several protests I've done over the last week or so. And one of the things that I'm asking, particularly white allies, is that you cannot give up. This conversation is going to be a difficult one. It's difficult for me. I live it every single day. It's difficult. But this must happen. It, it must happen. Right now. Yes. Because if it does not happen, Monica, we're not going to change anything and we're going to end up right back here. But the world has to shift. Things have to shift. They, sh- they shifted uh, generations ago as it relates to this. And we've made some significant progress. But on the other hand, we just really changed the way that we're doing things. So if, if, if I can talk about the race just for a moment, You know, um, we don't have lynchings anymore in this country in the way that they used to be. But I consider some of the things now that are happening, particularly to uh, black and brown folks, as modern day lynching. When you can shoot someone or when you can kneel on someone's neck and feel like it's okay for you to get away with it, it's a lynching is really what it is. It's just done differently. If we look at mass incarceration, for instance, you know, that to me is, is there's a book actually written, it's called The New Jim Crow. And so I know that this conversation we're having today will make some people really, really uncomfortable, but we need to be uncomfortable with this. Because when we look around and we see the one or two uh, brown faces in our white spaces, and we think, oh yeah, we're multicultural. No, you're not multicultural, Mm -mm. right? You're still divided, you know? And so as entrepreneurs, we have to take a look at the ways in which we're showing up to invite more uh, black and brown people into our spaces. We have to take a look at at all the ways in which we divide in this country. Uh, You and I could have a whole show on, on this topic, um, alone and, and on the wounds of religion and uh, and racism in this country, they're worthy of their own uh, conversation. And we're packing a lot into the time we have together. But I just hope, I hope that we're packing enough in so that even if we're making people upset, we're making them upset enough to act and to go out and to say, let me check in on this. Let me check to see how I'm doing. Let me check to see in what ways can I show up differently? Uh, because this work is so important for us to do this, to be able to let the spirit that dwells within us to just shine brightly. And we're never going to do that as long as we uh, literally and figuratively keep putting our knees on someone else's neck. And sometimes that neck is our own. Because we hold ourselves down as well. And I'm speaking of that particularly for for us as women now. I'm going to just veer for a moment from the the conversation we're having about race. But I think we as women, we continue to hold ourselves down and we hold other people down as well when we don't let our light shine. 
And if you are a person who's out there and you've been taught in some ways, uh, even unconsciously, that you don't deserve to flourish, I want to dispel you of that, that myth. I am a, a reverend in a Presbyterian church, and I am grateful to be a part of a denomination that says, yeah, it's okay for you to be a pastor, because I know there are plenty of churches that will not allow that to happen. And so I think people have to start looking at that. Why Why would it be okay for a male to be a pastor and not a female to be a pastor? If you really looked at the stories of the Bible, it was women who funded Jesus's ministry. So why would it be okay for that? And so if we allow ourselves to fall into that belief system, how does it limit us from growing in our own lives? You know, and so I just want to invite people to think about some of the deeply held beliefs that you have and say, now, does this make sense for who I know myself to be as a child of God, as a spirit that dwells within me? I'm not telling people to go out and change their faith and denominations. All I'm asking you to do is to broaden it, to open it up a little bit, to think, to think outside the box. And I want to offer too that, you know, those feelings of discomfort or dissonance, often I believe that that is our spirit calling us to take a closer look, you know, that there's a disguised gift in, you know, we're, we're, again, we're socialized to kind of, I I, I think of the la- uh, last uh, podcast guest that we were kind of talking about this, the absurdity of like, how we were raised, like, go to your room until you can come out and act right, right? You know, <laughs> it's like, how many of us got that? And yet what we really needed was for somebody to pull us in close and say, what's going on right now? Yeah, you're acting mm-hmm. out like what is happening? Come sit with me, come be with me, come share your what's on your heart. Yeah. Where are you disconnecting? Where are you separating? Uh, I, you know, I, I often think like, as soon as I feel resistance in my body, that's the that's the cue for me to lean in. Yes, yes. And and so if so many people could just lean into that, that would absolutely be great. And it would save us from so much heartache. You know, you know, one of the things I wanted to say, because you were asking about some of these wounds, I actually have seen these wounds impact people's relationships as well. You know, I've talked with women who grew up in churches that were not even just fundamentalists, but just in terms of just the belief system, again, about what marriage should look oh, like. Oh, Lord, I- don't get me started. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, God. Oh, I yeah. touched a nerve there, huh, Monica? Oh, <laughs> uh, there's so there's so many, you know, there's so many nerves. But when I come back and think about my own, my own wounds that I, I think I shared with you, I wasn't aware I even thought that when I go back, Terilyn, and I even think about, woo, even five years ago, I was struggling so mightily because, you know, I had grown up as in the Catholic tradition and it never resonated for me. And I remember, and I've told this story before, but just a quick touch on this is being a child and sitting in the pew And whenever they would talk about wives submitting to their husbands or, you know, Adam coming from the rib 
or sorry, Eve coming from the rib of Adam, you know, I would have this experience where I would look around the church and look at the women's faces and I would recognize that they were in a trance of some, like, and I called it the trance of unworthiness, you know? And it's so again, I didn't have language for this when I was a child, but when I think about how repressed and suppressed I was, Um, you know, even to the point where, you know, in my marriage, I had so many disassociations from my own body, from my own experience or allowing myself to have pleasure. I had so much shame. I had so much body dysmorphia. I had so much on, I mean, so yes, I mean, like tap into a nerve. I mean, this ruled my, I mean, it was, it permeated every cell of my being. And I'm so glad that you are openly saying this. Look, we know, so I want to just put this out there. We know that these experiences are not every woman's experience. We just want to say that. But I've worked with enough women to know that it is their experience. And they talk about how they show up in their relationship. They talk about whether the man even actually thinks that he should pleasure her, that he should only pleasure himself because he really doesn't have to. I mean, this stuff is deep. It's deep. so so deep, which is why I love doing the work that I do with women. But I also work with men too, because I just, I just feel like it's important to call a thing a thing, right? You know? And so when I preach in my congregation, they're so used to me now. They, they, they don't ever know what's going to come out of my mouth, but I am. (laughs) And I bet you don't either. I bet you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth either. Look, I try to be very spirit led when I'm preaching and I, and I'm very conscious of my my targeted audience because I also know when people have deeply held beliefs, you can't just come in all of a sudden and just start saying, you know, like everything that's going to shake them up. And so what I try to do is gently introduce things to people. And I have a trusted relationship with them where I can say certain things. And so they know that it is meant with love and intention. Uh, you know, towards them. And I always say to them, look, if I say something you don't agree with, you that you have to tell me that because you don't have to agree with me just because I'm your pastor. And I find it, I, I find enough pastors don't say that. If I'm saying something up here that you don't think is biblically sound for you, don't just follow me. Mm-mm. You have to follow what your beliefs are, right? And so I try to share those sorts of things with them. And from the pulpit, You know, I probably don't say the things about pleasuring your wife from the pulpit, but if we're in Bible study, something might come out. You know, if I'm talking to a group of women, we we get really real, especially in my uh, women's Bible study. And and we happen to be studying my book right now, which isn't a religious book at all, but it, 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 it looks at our relationship with the sacred ourselves and others. And so I have a lot of deep questions in there where I try to get people to think outside of the box about who they are. And so it's really about helping them to manifest the best in, in who they are. And so these conversations are critical They're for critical. us to have. And, and, yeah. and let's face it, you know, I love that you involve men in these discussions too, because this is not working for them either. Exactly. This exactly. is not working for our men, you know, and here's the thing. I, you know, I am blessed. I share you know, I share my life with a man who is just, I guess I can always 
point to the fact that probably he's just such a great example of someone who is so kind of balanced in their masculine and feminine. And, mm-hmm. but you know, like this, this, um, we've, we've had, um, an episode before where we've had Mark Green come on and talk about the, the man box culture exactly. and just, mm-hmm. you know, men who are not raised to have relational skills, to get curious, you know, to yeah. ask questions, to get present, right? It's like it, men are suffering. They are suffering. Mm-hmm. And look at the world. I mean, when you look at kind of it through a kind of a, distorted masculine lens kind of what's happening I think in the world is also these outdated constructs of power and control and divide and it's just it's it's not serving anyone it's not serving Mm -hmm. anyone I also want to kind of point back to something that you were just saying which is really powerful and important because you know, I also grew grew up with, you know, all my aunts and uncles, cousins, whatever. It's like if the priest said it, it was basically God's word. And, yeah. and it was this idea that like, you couldn't disagree, you couldn't question and that even in doing so, you were kind of, you know, you were made to feel wrong or bad yeah. for questioning. Yeah. And so I want to say something about that. Because all too often, we we hear stories of sexual abuse and physical abuse and emotional uh, abuse in church. And part of that is because folks are not, uh, I, I'm not blaming the victim, I want to be clear to say that, is that they are not empowered to um, to really have their own agency mm. in those situations. And they feel like, so they're not empowered because people at church don't support them when they come out about it. That's one thing that I want to say, but they are led to believe that that person is almost godlike. that what stands between them and God sometimes is that person's voice. And so if you think about that, if you think about thinking that your priest or your pastor is, you know, God's chosen person to speak to you, then whatever that person says goes. And so you somehow feel, and this is the psychology of this. I know a lot of people won't agree with this, but I know from a psychological place and I know from a spiritual place that what people are feeling in in those moments, it's like, okay, if the pastor said it, if the pastor does it, then there must be, this must be okay. I have had people to tell me that they've been shunned in church because the pastor from the pulpit has told the entire congregation to don't talk to them. So why do those people in church do that? They do that because their leader is telling them to do that in that moment. And so they're not engaging in their own sense of agency and making a choice that, no, I won't be a part of this abuse. And even for that person who sits there and doesn't get up and walk out of the church, they're not using their own agency. Now, psychologically, I understand why they aren't doing it. So again. I am not blaming the victim. What I am trying to do is to say I understand and I get why people are in those spaces. And so my and, and I want to invite people to to be able to say enough is enough and I will no longer stay in those places of abuse if they are being, you know, abused. And so and even just following the pastor when it's not even abused. I mean, 
people just follow whatever the pastor says. So if the pastor says we need to raise $500,000 to build this thing over here, give me all your money. People do that too. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. But, but what it calls to mind too is, uh, so you know who Abby Wambach is? She's the the soccer player and she and Glennon are married at, and mm-hmm. I, I love a story that they tell because, you know, they were, I think they were this, as the story goes and I'll probably butcher it, but it was this idea of like, Abby was still very much suffering talking to a pastor uh, that they were sharing, you know, their story with. And it, it was, it was about Abby still feeling like, she left God. And, and I remember Glennon using that, like you didn't leave God and God didn't leave you. You left your church and that was something different. That's right. Right. And I think a lot of people have the tendency to collapse religion and spirituality or religion and God, but Mm -hmm. religion is man-made. And, and I think even Jesus said, don't follow me. You know, like he, he wasn't for religion. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we have, we have so much collapsed on, on so many other things and we need to really spend some, some time. And I think in some strange ways, that's what COVID has been about kind of is on a more spiritual level to look at it mm-hmm. and, and get curious. Cause again, I don't, I don't have the answers, but I just, it's curious, right? Like Wow, this is all happening. Yeah. Here's what I would say. So I I would offer that Jesus did say, follow him. And I often tell my congregation to embody the character of Jesus. Because if you look at his teachings, you don't even have to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, I know people from other beliefs who who follow the teachings of Jesus because Jesus was non-judgmental. Jesus was all about setting the captives free was all about loving people no matter who they were and where they showed up or how they showed up. And so if we were to engage in that process, and then I think the other thing that Jesus did was taught us how to connect with our spiritual selves and how to connect with God and the sacred. And so I think if you have to follow, uh, 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 not following the religion, right? So Mm -hmm. the church shouldn't be, especially in terms of Christianity, shouldn't be the the, the religion, but following the example of Jesus. And one of the other things that I invite people to do is look at some other religions. In order for you to grow in your relationship with the sacred uh, God, however you define it, look at multiple religions or sacred texts or uh, spiritual books or books by theologians, people who've had these great awakenings, because that's the way we grow our faith. Look, I obviously don't think that religion is all bad or else I would not be a pastor in a Presbyterian church. There are lots of things I value about my religious teachings, Mm -hmm. but just because I value them does not mean that I don't have the ability to look into and have a look inside to see what can I change. And that's the beauty because a lot of people get upset with me for having this conversation as a pastor. But guess what? I am so secure in my relationship with God that it doesn't really matter what they're saying. And I'm so secure that I can look at other religions and still believe the way that I do. And that's what people miss out on. They think they can't think outside of the box. And so 
grateful to have grown up in a family where my parents allowed me to ask a million questions mm-hmm. about God and they didn't shut me down. And what I what I think also is is kind of coming up for me is that you're modeling this fully empowered full permission to and in modeling it you're encouraging others to do the same and so it's this idea of like look don't give your personal agency or your personal power away or your curiosity to question everything right if and that all of that gets to belong all of that gets to be part of the experience and you know maybe that's where the wounding occurs is when we don't feel that we can bring our whole selves you know our whole imperfect selves to mm-hmm. to our lives to our congregations to our to our partners to our friendships right i mean let's i think yes. one of the things that we're kind of really keep pointing to is that yes, we're all connected. And yes, we're all human and divine. And there's something here, I think about just having this more time and space and offering each other more grace to explore and experience the questions versus being living in such certainty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, and I love, I think, you know, that this is a great place to probably, you know, just, just wrap up a little because I do, I feel like, gosh, I love this. We covered so much ground and, you know, there's, there's so much, I think for, for everyone to just kind of think about, but, but what would you say, or what would, I mean, I know you've invited our listeners to, to think about a lot of things right now in this episode, I'm wondering if there's anything specific that you would point our listeners to in terms of just um, something that has just helped you immensely. I don't know if you have a resource or something that you can think of to just invite our listeners to do as like a first step if they're questioning their own religious trauma or wounding. Um, so. So I would um, here, what I would ask them to do is if you are having some concerns about your religious trauma, uh, of course, I'm always available for them to get in touch with me at, um, uh, they could go to my website at sacredintelligence.com and look me up, but also find a trusted uh, individual that you can talk to about what some of your concerns are about religion. And I would advise that you, you can go to your own pastor or, or um, religious authority, but oftentimes I tell people to go to someone different because you need a different perspective, particularly if that person is the person who's doing the wounding. So um, in addition to going to them, read, 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 read read other texts, other sacred texts to kind of open your mind up a little bit, but also to listen to what you and I have said and to really think about if it resonates with you, do you need to do some deeper work around it? Um, The other thing I want to invite people to do, you know, I have a, a, a seven day program that's called a seven day prayer experience. And oh, I'm so sorry about that. And in the seven day prayer experience, it's all about you developing your own language for the ways in which you connect with the divine, however you see that connection to be. And so 
Um, I invite people just to to pop in there, take a look at that. Um, I also have prayer time with Dr. Terrellin on Facebook, which is another way of uh, how I try to be open and show people that we can use different language to connect with God. We can see God in different ways, whether it's sacred or energy or universe. And so it's really just a way of broadening and reimagining who the sacred is for us. So those would be the things that I would recommend for now. And if your wounds are deep enough, please go see a therapist to deal with some of these as well. I would love to think that, you know, if some of our listeners, actually what was revealed was, wow, I did not even know I had some, you know, they touched on some stuff here that actually does resonate as true. Like I have some, whatever it is, right? Like for me, it was, Mm -hmm. I'm never going back. I I, so much shame and, but yeah, so I, and I just want to honor the conversation and all of the ground that we covered, Tara Lynn, I just appreciate you so much. I'm so grateful for your work in the world. And I just want to acknowledge just your time with so much going on. I know you're serving so many different people and communities in your own family. And I just want to thank you from, you know, the the bottom of my heart for being part of this conversation. You're welcome, Monica. I'm so glad we were able to do this. And I know we only scratched the surface today, but Hopefully we scratched it enough that we can get some people doing the work they need to do to heal. Yes. And, and I'll be sure to have all of your resources on, uh, on our blog post and on the podcast. So we'll, we'll make sure everybody can just go to jointherevelation.com and, and find the episode and all of the various links for Dr. Tara Lynn. So thanks again and more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.